Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Sports Media Box podcast. This is Jan Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Don't forget to subscribe to the SNW podcast feed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let's go ahead and get started talking about the NFL's ratings from Sunday. Spectacular number for the Kansas City Buffalo game. Over 50 million viewers tuned in to uh, see that game. It was the best audience on record for any NFL game outside of the Super Bowl and conference title games. Now, obviously, that comes with the standard out-of-home viewing caveat, and in fact, I can tell you for sure this was not the most watched NFL game on record. In fact, it was the most watched only since 2017 because we did have out-of-home viewing back then. It just wasn't included in the final Nationals. So Packers-Cowboys in 2017 had 54 million viewers, if you include the out-of-home viewing that was being tracked at the time. But... At the time that game happened, out-of-home viewing was being tracked separately and not included in the final Nationals. So on that basis, the Kansas City-Buffalo game was the most watched on record for the divisional round for any NFL game outside of the Super Bowl and conference title games. It's not really a record, but CBS gets to brag about it as if it was a record. And very few people actually care about, you know, the stuff that I'm talking about here with all the technicalities. So we know it was not the most watched game on record. It was not even the most watched game in 10 years. But for the layman, for the typical fan who doesn't really care about ratings that much, it's an all-time record. It is what it is. Uh, No matter what, record or no record, over 50 million viewers is spectacular. The reality is most NFL games at this point in the season are probably getting you 50 million viewers. Probably the case in 1995 that you were getting 50 million viewers for some of these games. You just did not have the tracking for that but uh, that's why Nielsen put in out of home viewing and I will say this the numbers are great the numbers are not inaccurate none of this is inflation the numbers are still being undercounted very important to note these are still not capturing all of the viewership but obviously out of home is a, is a tremendous factor and, and every single record high that you hear about is I mean this is going to sound more serious than I intend it Every single record high you hear about for the NFL is like a straight-up lie. It is. It's a straight-up lie. Like, I mean, these are technicalities. The NFL is not having more viewers now than ever. It's just that the NFL is in an era where Nielsen is doing a better job of capturing the viewership than it ever has. Don't take, when you hear a network talk about how it was the most watched this and that ever, it's it's, it's not true. It's just not true. The numbers are great, though, and the NFL is having a wonderful season. Uh, Drew, I'll bring you in. Yeah, well, what a weekend for the NFL. I mean, every game over 35 million viewers, one game eclipsing 50 million viewers, and this is the divisional round, right? I mean, I guess the, the other games are more in line with what we would generally expect out of a divisional round, but to, I mean, have Chiefs bills, which I think it's safe to say at least in terms of um, postseason play, this is probably the best rivalry in the game right now. 
you have two of the most high profile quarterbacks with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Um, there's you know endless storylines between them now, given the history. Uh, I think every time we see that game, regular season or postseason, it'll probably be one of the the biggest games of the year. Um, but honestly, John, what I mean, what is there to say about the NFL now? We know how dominant they are. You know, we know that sure these numbers, while not inflated, are are most viewed like the superlatives, as you said, are, are technicalities. Um, but to be honest, it doesn't matter. They're so far and away ahead of any other television property at this point. I mean, why do they even release the numbers, right? They can just say, this is the NFL. This is, you know, this is the golden goose of TV. This is what advertisers are paying for. This is what the distributors are paying for. I mean, we're the NFL and it's like, you know, we're the only game in town, right? Yeah, I mean, the reality is, I mean, it the NFL is as popular now as it's ever been. It's not necessarily more popular than it's ever been, but it's it's tremendously popular. People love to watch this league. Nothing else on TV. Let's not talk about the historical comparison because that that just gets into a lot of method methodological territory that's not fun for people to listen to. I'm sure. Let's just talk compared to everything else. Fifty million viewers. What else in TV's gotten fifty million? You know, the election might not get fifty million uh, this year. You know, I mean, it, it's this is not an era of TV where 50 million people watch the same thing, right? 50 million people aren't sitting down in their houses and watching Young Sheldon or The Curse or whatever else is on television now. Uh, you know, so for the NFL to be able to do that, the Oscars is lucky to get 20 million in this era. The NBA Finals, 11 million. The World Series, 9 million. The NFL, and, and, and those are series, right? But look at the single game events. How about 20 something million for Michigan Washington, which is a great number, but what half the audience of that game? I I would say the only thing comparable on a, you know, daily slash weekly basis is, you know, if you were to combine the evening news telecasts, right? You would probably get uh, around 20 million viewers nightly. Um, you know, so I I know I know that's kind of pretty outside of sports, but in terms of viewership events that get into the 20 30 40 million number i mean i know you have to combine all three networks but there are still around 20 million households in the united states that tune in every single night to watch some sort of evening newscast you know that's in terms of habitual viewing that's probably the only thing that's even close to comparable to the nfl and yeah probably an unpopular uh, comparison but you know that is, uh, that's the reality. Well, you know, but even that is, you know, I mean, 20 million, you know, the NFL, I mean, look, we never combined the one o'clock windows every single week in the NFL in that one o'clock window, they're getting, yeah. you know, 30, 40 million. I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible, incredible draw. I will say, it, you know, to bring back the historical comparison, you know, Joel Embiid in the NBA had 70 points yesterday and that's nice, but you know, like, we are in an era where scoring comes easily in the NBA. So even though 70 points is amazing and says a lot about Joel Embiid relative to the rest of today's NBA, I don't look at that as being in any way comparable to what Kobe did, you know, uh, I guess it was 18 years to the day before with 81. It's easier to score now. So it's tough to make those historical comparisons. 
I would I would say that the NFL's numbers that we've seen, it's a little Embiid-like, a little bit like what we've seen in the NBA with the scoring, where these guys are 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 getting, you know, tremendous numbers, but you know, I don't know. I mean, there's a bit of it it's not inflation without of home. It's not inflation. But I also know that there's many games in the past that had more viewers than that when we just didn't track them properly. Yeah, it's a different era. And I, I was going to be curious, John, to, to how long it took you to you know, bring up Joel Embiid uh, during this podcast. I knew I knew it would probably come up. You're you're always spot on with the NBA comparisons. Um, yeah, well, it, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it is it is comparable because, again, you're it's just. Yeah. The the big numbers don't resonate the way if you are really plugged in the way that they used to. If you're not plugged in, 50 million viewers and 70 points, wow. But if you are plugged in, well, okay, we know that a lot of this is methodological changes, or in the NBA's case, rule changes. You know, it's kind of like, it's nice, but it's not as nice as the number makes you think. Exactly. Well, let's move on to the other three games here. And I think the highlight of the other three games were the the Saturday numbers. Um, these were incredibly high for a day that traditionally does not do uh, well in terms of viewer, high viewership events. So for Packers 49ers, which was the night game, uh, the Fast Nationals had that at 37.5 million. I'm not sure. Do you have the official number numbers yet, John? For the Saturday night game, 37.54 basically the same and for the early game 32.4 both over 30 million um with the niners peaking at over 40 million uh, around 11 p.m eastern i mean for saturday night uh this i believe you said was the most watched saturday night viewership event since the lily hammer olympics that's that's got to mean something for the nfl right Hmm. Here's another thing, right? Out of home, out of home, out of home, right? Any number of Saturday games had more viewers if out of home viewing was included. Any number. So before I was talking about the Packers Cowboys game in 17 and how that had more viewers with out of home included. And we know that because there was out of home being measured. That started in 2016. So there's no out of home for Cavs Warriors game seven, but there is out of home for Cubs Indians game seven. This started in the middle of 2016. So from 2016 to 2020, you actually do have a four-year period where there is out-of-home viewing for those games. Uh, it just wasn't included in the final nationals. Before 2016, though, there is none at all. So there's a lot of games where we'll just never know. And you look at games like, I think, what, Steelers versus, um, not Steelers, excuse me, Saints versus 49ers in 2012 had 35.6 million viewers. There's no way that didn't have more viewers with out-of-home included than Packers 49ers, right? You can go all the way back to 1994, you know, Kansas City, Miami, 34 million on ABC on New Year's Eve, by the way, for the uh, college football people. Um, you know, there's no way, especially on a night like New Year's Eve, or I guess it was an afternoon, that you wouldn't have had a, an even bigger out-of-home audience that day. So, uh, yeah, it was the most watched in 30 years based on the Nielsen methodological change that has... Uh, given the present day an advantage in every historical comparison. It's still a great number, but the other aspect too of that Saturday superlative, nothing airs on Saturdays. Being the most watched Saturday program in 30 years is not impressive because, you know, what are we talking about? We're not even talking about like Golden Girls and Empty Nest because those ended more than 30 years ago. This is, what, what are we talking about? Profiler? The Pretender? 
You know, I mean, what what is what is the big accomplishment here about being the most watched Saturday event in 30 years? Um, so I'm not actually not really impressed by that. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll write about it. I'll make a note of it. But, you know, big whoop. Of course, an NFL game is the most watched Saturday program since 1994. What else airs on Saturday nights? You know, there's been maybe a handful of really big World Series games on Saturday nights. Okay, I'll give you that. Uh, the final four every year, but we know the final four is not an NFL level event. Eh, that's kind of my reaction. Well, let's look ahead to the conference championship round then. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that the AFC is going to be the uh, more enticing matchup, although it is airing earlier. Um, Actually, I disagree. I disagree. The Lions, really? the Lions are everything, man. I mean, people want to see the Detroit Lions get to the Super Bowl. We've seen Kansas City in the Super Bowl entirely too many times already, right? We've seen uh, the Ravens recently enough, I guess 11 years ago. So if you're like 13 years old, it would be new to you. But for most of us, we've seen the Ravens in the Super Bowl. We've seen the 49ers in the Super Bowl. We have not seen the Lions in the Super Bowl. That's new, different, exciting. It gives, It evokes the Cubs. That's a big one. That, that's a fair point. I would push back by saying the quarterback matchup in the AFC is just way better on paper. Um, it has a lot more pop than Jared Goff versus Brock Purdy. You're talking about the league, the presumptive league MVP in Lamar Jackson against Patrick Mahomes, who has now made it to six straight AFC championship games. I think it's pretty borne out in the data. And you correct me if I'm wrong here, John. People actually like watching dynasties. When you look yeah. at the Golden State Warriors ratings during their run, their their ratings and viewership during the playoffs were incredibly high. Do you have the same core of Mahomes and Kelsey? You have Andy Reid there. There's a lot of familiarity, and people want to know what is going to happen with Mahomes, especially, I, I think, with Lamar, who could be an emerging star in the league. I mean, to the casual fan. Of course, he's already a star, too. You know, those of us that follow the sport, but I think this could really be a breakout for him on the national stage as well. So to me, I think that is the bigger matchup. Um, I'll be interested to see what the viewership is like. Um, no, I mean, I, I get everything you're saying, the the the, the dynastic aspect of uh, Kansas City. Dynasties are only good for ratings if it's difficult. Everyone likes to bring up the bulls of the 1990s. The Bulls never swept anybody in the finals. Five of their six finals spent six games. They could have lost in 1993-98 and could have lost in 1997. Even 1996, when they were up 3-0, ended up two straight losses in Seattle, and you don't really know what might happen. The only series that was easy was against the Lakers, and they lost game one of that series at home and had overtime games in, in Los Angeles as well. So you know, that is a dynasty that works for TV ratings. You know, the Yankees, they, two out of their three World Series that they won in a row. They won three World Series in a row. Two out of those three were the lowest rated World Series ever at the time with the Yankees because they blew out the Padres and it was boring. They beat the Mets in five and it was boring and only in one market, right? People are not interested in these routes. I mean, 99 did well against the Braves, but that's because it was this whole team of the 90s clap trap that they were trying to pull. Uh, and it was the Braves. Braves were a big team. But, you know, you have to have dramatic games. The, the And Kansas City delivers that. You will always get a dramatic, exciting game with Kansas City. That's why they're a draw. I don't necessarily know that the, the dynasty aspect of it 
because you know the Warriors they were obvi- they were and are obviously big for the NBA, uh, you know, massively important to have that team there. Uh, but you know, toward the end of the Durant era, one people weren't really tuning in for the other teams, which is already bad. And two, you know, hey, it's nice to have the Warriors, but if it's a sweep, what what's really what are you getting? So um, I would say for the for Kansas City, the fact that they are a dramatic team, come down to the last minute, you know, heroics, all this stuff, that would be what I would attribute that to. The, the easy way to back test this would be to look at the Patriots with Tom Brady um, and how their ratings held up. Um, I wouldn't know that off the top of my head, but you do bring up a great point. The, the Chiefs always seem to have a, a knack for theatrics and uh, dramatic finishes. So I have a feeling that might be the more um, attractive game when it when it's all said and done, might be a little closer than uh, the Niners and the Lions. But that's the great thing about the NFL. Um, you really can't predict this stuff. And, you know, I'm sure both of these games are going to be well in over 50 million viewers. Yeah, it, I, so. it'll, I don't know if it'll set records, but at this point, it's all, it's all gravy, right? Yeah, well, if it does set a record, it won't be a real record. Let's be real about it. Let's be real about it. Um, you know, if you look back at some of these 1990s numbers, uh, let me see if I can grab one real quick. Dallas, San Francisco, 1995, 57 million viewers for that NFC title game on Fox. 57 million. How many do you think that was without a home? Because that's, that's an in-home audience, right? And not just in home. I mean, who knows what Nielsen's sample was back then? I mean, you know, 1995. So it would take 70 million before I bought that any game this weekend was a record. Because to me, I look at that 57 million from 1995 and I say, yeah, that's probably like 65, 66, 67 million. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I believe that is the highest of all the 1990s ones. You can go more recently. 58 million for Saints Vikings in 2010, uh, 58 million for, you know, New York, San Francisco in, in 2012. Again, 65, 66, 67 million, really, if you include what the out of home audience would have been at that time. Uh, so it, it's going to take 70, 75 million before I'm like, oh, that's a real record. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and that's just the world we live in with, with the out of home viewing measurements with right. Nielsen. All right, John, uh, another big uh, sports media story uh, just breaking this morning. Netflix is jumping into the live entertainment realm by inking a deal with WWE for Monday Night Raw. Uh, I guess we don't know if it'll actually be Monday nights, but they will be purchasing and airing the Raw franchise for WWE. Uh, The reports say this is a $5 billion deal over 10 years netflix has options at the five-year mark and they also have an option to extend it 20 years should they want that so um i know we don't really usually cover pro wrestling on this podcast but this is certainly a story given this is netflix's first foray into a real big sports property so what was your or sports entertainment property mate might be the more accurate way to put it uh, so what, what's your top-level thoughts on Netflix getting into business with the WWE? Well, we finally have uh, some indication that Netflix is serious about getting into live programming. 
WWE is not sports, but it's sports, uh, uh, you know, it's certainly sports adjacent. And I think that as a result, you can maybe consider Netflix a contender, maybe not for the NBA. I strongly doubt they're going to contend for that. But, you know, F1's rights are up at the end of 2025. F1 just got a new rights deal five minutes ago, but it was only a three-year deal. So it literally next year, F1's rights are up for bid again. And I think that would be maybe finally the time that Netflix would get in. You know, Netflix has been kind of precious about this whole thing. You know, it's like, oh, well, we don't need advertising. We don't need live sports. And I like that. I hate advertising. I mean, obviously, I have an ad-supported website. But if I have the opportunity to, you know, get a streaming service, I'm going to get the ad-free uh, tier and not the ad-filled tier. I enjoy Red Zone because it's seven hours of commercial-free football, not seven hours of, you know, and here's a word from State Farm every five minutes. So, you know, um, but ultimately we all know the way that this business works and Netflix was not going to be able to stay on its stance. So they're going to get into live, they're going to get into ad-supported stuff, and I don't think it's going to stop at the WWE. I mean, it would be weird if they stopped here. Did the size of the deal surprise you at all? Yeah, a little bit, because the streamers are very, you know, they, they have a lot of money, but they don't spend a lot of money, right? You know, and so they're not just going out there, you know, backing up the Brinks truck for anything. And the WWE is popular, but it's not that popular in terms of this isn't an... I mean, what was it? It was $5 billion for the whole 10 years? Correct. Uh, we don't know the average year right. breakdown. So uh, you can expect that it'll escalate throughout each oh, year of the contract. But um, yes, it is $5 billion over 10 years, reportedly. That's a lot of money. That's just a lot. I mean, for the WWE. Now, we've seen a lot of signs that indicate that maybe the market isn't great. But that's... That's a that's a deal Apple wasn't going to make for a lot of pro leagues. So Netflix goes from kind of being on the sidelines to diving on in, you know, full force. Maybe they will be a factor in the NBA. I mean, I doubt it, but I mean that that's so out of character for them. It's going to be hard to predict what they do going forward. To me, this makes sense because WWE has a lot of like shoulder programming. If you look at Peacock. They have a whole section of WWE documentaries and documentary series. Um, they the WWE has this NXT Next, which I guess is their up and coming um, wrestler circuit. So there's a lot of ancillary programming surrounding WWE, so you can really build out a whole ecosystem. And my guess is Netflix will be looking to have some of those tentpole events once the contract with NBC Universal expires. They're going to want Royal Rumble. They're going to want um, WrestleMania and some of those bigger WWE properties to go along with Raw because I don't, I don't really follow wrestling, but my impression is Raw is the kind of second tier to SmackDown on Friday nights. So, Well, don't forget that SmackDown is going to NBC Universal. With US yes, yeah. Yeah. So they'll still, that, that deal is not ending. It's just going to be different. Correct, correct. And I, I forget the terms of that deal, but um, you know, I, I think if we're looking at a long scope for Netflix, they, they probably eventually would like to have everything on their platform yeah. when it comes to WWE. 
Yeah. And I mean, it'll, it'll help them. It'll, it'll give people who haven't had an op- a reason to get Netflix a reason to get Netflix. You know, what, what else have they had? Really? They've lost a lot of those sitcoms people like they got Seinfeld, but they lost the office. They lost everything else. You know, they don't have the same number of original programs that they did. And the original programs that they have do not make the same dent in the culture that they used to. I don't know if that Stranger Things thing is still on, but people don't talk about it anymore if it is. Orange is the New Blacks probably ended years ago, and we know House of Cards is over. That's the three shows that I know they air. So, you know, I mean, the reality is they need they need a draw, and you know what? You get a new episode every week. It's not sports. It's TV. And you get a new episode every single solitary week. So yeah. WWE fans are going to need it. Yeah, we'd be remiss to not acknowledge that Netflix still dominates the streaming industry when it comes to minutes viewed, right? So it's not as if no one's tuning into Netflix. True. They they are completely dominant in that in that regard. Yeah, so. but it's not the way that it used to be. I mean, you know, where it was, it was everything. And the reality is, you know, when I started streaming on Netflix, they had everything. They had all of the shows from all of the networks. It was the only game in town. And, sure. uh, you know, they, they, that, that was a, a long way in the rearview mirror. So I think this helps them out. Obviously it'll be interesting for the WWE fan base. They've not had to, you know, sign up for a streamer just to watch. And there's not, gonna oh, they, be ha- they have had to get Peacock. Well, yeah, but not for every week. Right. Because yeah. here's, here's the fact. There's not going to be any churn with the WWE every single week, 52 weeks a year for years. It's only going to be Netflix. If you want to watch WWE Raw, you're going to have to pay every single month of every single year. With the NBA, you get an off season. You don't have to pay for, you know, whatever in, in, in August. With the WWE, if you want to follow it, you have to have Netflix all year, every year for years. That's a new thing for any property. That, that's a great point. And I'm sure that drove a lot of the value in this deal. Let's cover one more sports media story here, John. Um, this broke last Friday. Sports Illustrated facing some widespread layoffs. Um, once again, this seems to be the last nail in the coffin of Sports Illustrated, although they may have nine more lives after this. Who knows? It's uncertain what is going to happen to the brand. It's a lot of uh, business minutia when it comes to who owns the the licensing deal to publish SI and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, we have a lot of uh, you know great writers and journalists that are likely going to be losing their jobs. Um, to me, this seems truly like the the last nail in the coffin for SI. Well, the last nail in the coffin was years ago. When was the last time that SI was important in the national conversation? The cover of SI was bigger than anything ESPN had. ESPN was bigger than SI, but the cover of SI was the biggest thing there was in sports media. Uh, and it set the agenda. It, it, it created the conversation. How many Kansas City Chiefs have been on the cover of SI? Mahomes? How many, how many times has been? Who knows? Right? How many recent stars? You know, Wemby's been on the cover of SI, Caitlin Clark. I mean, I'm sure they've been on digital covers. But, you know, like that, just the decline of that cultural touchstone was already kind of the, the last straw. Uh, I think, you know, SI is interesting. 
I have a, a a box in 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 my closet filled with old SI issues from the old days, uh, but I don't relate to it the way other people did. Uh, you know, people talk about SI; they grew up with it. By the time I was getting SI, it was it was not the same. A lot of the people who made SI SI weren't still there, and it was still a very high quality you know publication. A lot of really high quality people worked there, and it was still culturally important. But at that point, it was already kind of living off of its reputation. Uh, I'm talking maybe early 2000s. And right when things started to, they started losing more people and the industry started to change. Um, but the cover of SI, I mean, like even just in Lynn's sanity, the fact that Jeremy Lynn was on the cover of SI two weeks in a row, SI hardly did any NBA covers outside of the playoffs and preview issue. They did Jeremy Lin two weeks in a row. You know, that meant something. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it just kind of faded out. Um, and really, I mean, a lot of that stems from being sold to this authentic brands group, being licensed by the arena group. These are, I mean, let, let's be real, right? What are their other, what are their other brands? What are the other things that they're doing? Um, you know, to me, SI is a publication that should at the very least be owned and run by something bigger. Maybe not, you know, maybe not a Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, but, you know, something that at least has a history or a reputation for putting together an actual multifaceted brand that's not just, and I know they still have high quality people doing high quality work, but we know that the internet business model is clickbait. It's, you know, kind of this low quality stuff. It doesn't matter if you balance all of that out with Pat 40 or whatever. It's still a different business model. You know what I mean? So uh, to me, yeah, it, once they went from the traditional media model to the internet model, um, which was inevitable, but not everyone has to do it. Like ESPN is not actually doing the internet model. They have a lot of clickbaity stuff. They've got their little funny faces that they put on the, the homepage, like a YouTube video thumbnail with people's eyes bugging out. Oh, you got to click on this video. Stephen A is having a connection about something, you know, whatever. Um, that is kind of clickbaity, but for the most part, they don't really do that stuff. They don't have like the clickbait content, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, you saying that I'm trying to think like, when is the last time I've actually visited ESPN.com's homepage or sportsillustrated.com? This is, I don't honestly, anytime I'm on that website or either of those websites, it's because I'm clicking an article that I found on, you know, Twitter or something. But let me not be unfair because, you know, the main SI website as I go there doesn't really have a lot of that. I do think that there's other arena group sites that are linked to SI that do kind of have that. The reality is that, you know, that is the business model. And SI maybe resists it more than other brands under the same umbrella, but the business model is, you know, clickbait, right? And I'm looking down here. They do have some covers. Um, Sports Person of the Year. I don't know if this is a real magazine. They're not selling printed magazines, right? This is just a digital cover. 
pick. To me, another interesting thing that happened on Friday is, I guess when you know the whole AI story came out last year, I saw a lot of romanticizing of Sports Illustrated, and um, kind of to me, it didn't resonate as much as maybe some people from older generations. I mean, I certainly had an appreciation for Sports Illustrated. Um, had had a subscription for for much of my childhood. And I was always interested in who would be on the covers and whatnot. But to me, it wasn't like ubiquitous. It wasn't the cultural touchstone that you made it out to be with, you know, really driving the narrative for, um, you know, sports talk or what you're talking about in the sports industry. So it it really, it, it's kind of been a slow death by a thousand cuts for for SI and it's it's disappointing to see how it's how it's ending now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I, I do want to say there there's still journalists there, they're still doing good work, they're still doing work that resonates. It's just it's not it's just not culturally relevant in the same way and it's impossible to be culturally relevant in the same way unless you're the NFL. I don't know. I mean, I I do you know, I I look around it's always so interesting to me. You know, the Washington Post gets uh, gets Bezos. And obviously, we know the Washington Post is not exactly thriving or anywhere close. But, you know, it's Bezos wanted in. Uh, Elon Musk wanted in on, on Twitter. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe some eccentric billionaire, you know, grew up on SI and would want to, to, to have it. And that would be maybe great for them to have, obviously, or, or not so much if you look at the Washington Post and Twitter. But short of that, this business is people trying to, you know, get cheap content and cheap clicks. And SI is not that. But because SI is being run by folks for whom that is the model, how is it supposed to work in any relevant way? Like, it matters who's running it, you know, the same way that how long do you think Turner can keep churning out things like Turner classic movies when it's being run by someone who puts out, you know, Dr. Pimple Popper? Eventually that Dr. Pimple Popper ethos will win out because that is the ethos of the company. And you can keep trying to do the high quality stuff, but eventually you're not going to be able to do that anymore. All right, John. Tough time in the sports media landscape. I mean, I that's kind of been the ethos of this podcast for the the year that we've been running it. So, um, I guess we're never surprised at at this type of news anymore. Although it is still still quite disappointing to see. Um, with that said, uh, why, why don't we close out the podcast? Well, yeah, uh, another week down, one more to go in January. We got the uh, conference title games next week, and I'm sure there'll be more big numbers that appear to be records unless you look under the hood and realize that they're not actually records, but whatever. We'll talk about that again next week. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.